Anyway, we're in the we're in the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers, and Lord willing, we're gonna I'm gonna try to finish that up tonight if I can. And uh, but but the the book of Numbers, gosh, there's so much information in that book, so many unusual things that happen in some ways that are almost like transitional. And and uh, I'm gonna any, anybody need I've been handing out these this paperwork, and so let me make sure that everybody gets some that needs some. Brother, I'll just give that to you, and there's a few folks back here that need some. The book of Numbers. It, there's enough for her to have one, for Sister Laura to have one, if you, if you want one, sis. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, but there are so many, it really is a, it is a transitional book in some ways. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've got Moses and Aaron, and then you're going to see that, that Aaron is going to slip off the scene. He's going to die. And, uh, and Eliezer is going to be taken in and so forth. And then we have this time, this 40 years is going to elapse, and then they're going to be, as we approach the book of Deuteronomy, that generation will have died off that refused to go into the land and came back with the evil report and so forth. And you know, everybody over the age of 20 years old and up that was in that generation, they, they wandered in the wilderness till they died. And so we're approaching that time frame there. And so over the course, uh, over the course of time, these events are taking place. And so the, a lot of the things about the tabernacle are being instituted. Who's going to have jobs and where are they going to camp around the tabernacle and in what order are they going to do that and what jobs do those Levites have and so forth. And all that's been designated here as they make preparation. And, you know, they had to learn that when the cloud came off of the tabernacle that it was time to pack up and move. They were going to be moving forward, or whether it was a day journey or several days or the same thing is true when it stayed on top of the tabernacle there. Then they would they would camp in that place, maybe for a day, maybe for a month or however long the Lord saw fit in the journey. And uh, and so there's uh, we we started on this and and really where it picks up um, as it's these in between chapters. I have the journeying here and the and the crisis at Kadesh Barnea when they came back or at Kadesh I should say when uh, when Caleb and uh, Joshua stilled the people and so forth and because they would not go up. But you have to understand something. Go back there. Go back there with me. And uh, let's look at this. There's a passage in here um, that, you know, they were just... Actually, what I want you to do is go to Deuteronomy. I'm sorry. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And there's an explanation about what happens here. Is that, you know, God had given them the command to go into the land, but they they refused because they were afraid. And Moses rehearses that for them here in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And uh, and it explains some things, and we, we need to look at that just for a moment to understand what has what has taken place and what's happened. So Deuteronomy chapter one around around verse twenty, and uh, notice what it says. Are everybody with me? Deuteronomy chapter one verse twenty. And I said unto you, Moses here is speaking. Ye are coming to the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. 
Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee, Fear not, neither be discouraged. Look at verse 22. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land, and bring us word again by the way, by what way we must go up into the cities, uh, we shall, we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve of you, one of a tribe, and so forth. But you have to understand something. That was not God's way. God's way said, go in and take the land. And uh, they in their unbelief and so forth. And so this is going to be brought out as as you go through the book and um, and as it approaches the book of Deuteronomy. And so going back to that, by the time you get to in Levitic, a correction, in Numbers, you can go back there with me. Uh, to numbers, let me see. There's, there are just so many things that happen. As you recall, when they didn't go up uh, in chapter 14 of the book of Numbers, because they did not, then it was made where they could not. And because they presumed in the way that they did it to begin with, in that sending out spies, that wasn't God's way. God's way was to go in and take the land. So then they come back with the spies and the report of that, and uh, and their hearts are, are made afraid and they melted and so forth. And now they're going to wander for these 40 years. And suddenly now, all of a sudden, they're weeping and crying. But the Lord was not moved by their tears. And they said, now we'll go up to fight. And Moses said, no, don't do that. Don't He said, the Lord's not going to go up there with you. Don't. And what happens in chapter 14, look there with me. Look around verse 40. Numbers 14 and verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning and gathered them up to the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up unto the place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. They said, Hey, we made a mistake. We're, you know, uh, we, we want to make this right. And, uh, and for verse 41, And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up. And this was not the first time that they were guilty of presumption. What is presumption? What is that? Don't everybody be first, all right? It is assuming... Presuming what? Brother Mark, what were you going to say? Or, you know, taking something upon you, I, I think about also that, that you, for which you have no authority. It's almost like a usurpation, you know? That's what the scripture talks about in the book of Timothy. Not to usurp the authority. And so a usurper is someone who takes authority that's not been given to them, not been designated. It's outside their jurisdiction. And so they presumed as if they could in their own strength that they could do this. And so they really, they really were very, very immature. They, they, you know, and understand, you know, they had, they, they had been redeemed, right? And, and yet here they're still, they're still operating in their flesh. They're not a spiritual people, if you will, the way we think about it today. And the same thing holds true for many young Christians. They get saved, they get in, and they still, you know, let me ask you a question. Do babies make messes? Yes, they do. And so do baby Christians, all right? And they can make a mess of things. And that's what they did here 
in their presumption. They just figured they could handle this. They don't need the Lord, even though Moses told them, he's not with you. No problem. We're going to go up and possess it. You know, and so, and so that doesn't work. And, and look at verse 44. But they presumed to go up, up, up under the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites which dwelt in that hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. I mean, it was a, it was not even a, an organized retreat. Okay, they were scattered. They were discomfited means, man, it was just chaos to get out of there. They didn't retreat with dignity. They didn't retreat like soldiers, if you will, in an orderly fashion. Under control, it would just be like, man, they were being scattered. And and that's what happens, all right? And so the judgment of God had, if you will, had fallen upon them. We know that generation has to stay there. And now they're going, to, they're going to walk around for this time. And while they're doing that, they're going to run into the Edomites. And they're going to run into the, in the city of Moab. And so there's these little transitional things that are going to happen. And of course they complain over and over again. And, uh, and, and you know, when they didn't have water, remember they didn't have uh, the leeks and onions and they wanted flesh and God gave them quail till it came out their nostrils and so forth. They they didn't believe in some other areas and fiery serpents were sent and Moses had to make the serpent of brass. You know, if they would look upon it, they would live. A great picture of the Lord Jesus, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And so it's hard, and we're just doing this uh, as a survey, but it's hard to look past some of these some of these details about this book because there there are so many things that are in here and so uh, and, and so this matter of Korah you know and about again about presuming things and Korah was one of the leaders there he believed that he was anyway and uh, and basically had said there in Numbers sixteen you know that uh, that the you know that the Lord just doesn't speak by you Moses. And uh, but that he also speaks by us, and we know that the ground opens up. And they look look in Numbers uh, sixteen and look in verse thirty two, verse thirty one. And it came to pass as he that was Moses had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men and and that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all of Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also." Uh, you know, it put a little fear in them. And, uh, and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed 250 men that offered incense. You know, and that was the test. They were to get censers and try to offer incense like the priests, if you will, like Aaron and his sons would do. And so they were assuming some things. And really, I, I think in part it was a jealousy because, because what's going to happen is, uh, is that that this jealousy that it doesn't spread and, and you know it can happen it can happen in a church where it seems like some people are privileged particularly sometimes things in leadership i mean the things that go through people's minds you know it's uh you can't just catalog every thought that comes along in the minds of people let's just put it this way in the minds of baptists all right y'all agree with me about that all right 
And, uh, and so what happens here in this situation, what happens in this, it's almost as if, you know, there's a jealousy that's there. I think that's what Korah, part of their problem was they were jealous of Moses and these men and so forth. And, uh, and so what happens in chapter 17, the Lord has heard this and he tells Moses this. And, and notice what he says, look in verse 1 of chapter 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon it. So all the leaders of the tribe, the leaders, they're going to bring a rod out that they're going to have gotten from somewhere. They're going to put their name on it. And, uh, and so they're supposed to do that. And he said, And thou shalt write Aaron, verse 3, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the, test, before the testimony where I will meet with you. And before the testimony, that's the Ark of the Covenant, before the testimony. And so, uh, and so they're going to bring all these rods in, these, the, if you will, 13 rods, 12 of the tribes, and then the tribe of Aaron, if you will, of the Levites, they're going to, they're going to, Bring those rods there into that place and notice what happens. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel whereby, whereby they murmur against you. In other words, the Lord said, you know, I've had enough of this. I, you know, so how, how did the Levites get their place to begin with? Why were they singled out? Do you remember? Remember when Joshua and Moses came down off the mountain? They hadn't been, they hadn't been to Mount Sinai very long. And they came down from the mountain and Joshua says, man, it sounds like a war going on down there. And Moses had been to enough, uh, fellowships in Egypt. He said, man, that's not a war. That's a party going on. And so they were partied and they got down there and man, I mean, you know, the tablets he breaks, they, they break cause they, I mean, they had broke just about broke all the commandments, if you will. And they had that graven image, right, that Aaron had made for them, and they're out there partying and and, and all this stuff that's going on. And, and so uh, Moses calls out, and so basically, like, who's on the Lord's side? And, the, and it was the tribes of Levi that came over to Moses and began to do some slaying there, and they were cleaning house. And because of that, that's why they were chosen over against everybody else. Remember when they were coming out of Egypt, the Lord said that firstborn, from here on out, every firstborn child, every firstborn male is going to be mine, of the beast in the field as well as your families. And he was going to use them for the priesthood, all those firstborns. But because of what happened when they got to Sinai, the tribe of Levi, because they stood with what was right, and at that time, and then, so that's part of the reason why they were selected or singled out. And remember that they had to redeem them, count those numbers, 22,000 of them. Am I making sense to you? This is what happened. And they took the place of all those firstborns that were there. Uh, because there were 22,000 and some change, I think like 273 more. And they had to pay a $5 temple fee, shekel, five shekels. And, uh, to, in order to be redeemed. And so they became, they became these people that were going to have these jobs. And so, uh, and so they have these jobs, the Gershonites, the Merarites, the Kohathites, and then Aaron and his sons, Eliezer and Moses. They, they, they were, they, he was also the tribe of Levi, Moses was. And so, so here they are and they're doing this work now. 
And Korah gets jealous. And you know what happens sometimes? You know, when people start to point things out and so forth, you know, uh, they're going to get some others that are on their side and other people that are going to agree with them. And it creates, it can create a problem in, in the hearts and minds of the, uh, if you will, of the everyday people. And so all this was going on and the Lord said, I've had enough of this griping and complaining. If you remember, it was even, it was even that Miriam and Aaron got involved in some of this stuff and said, you know, the Lord's also spoken by us and, what happened to Miriam? She was smitten with leprosy and so forth. So, I mean, he's tried all kinds of things. So now he says, okay, all right, I, I'm going to settle this as to who's going to do this work. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's a little bit interesting here, uh, in that. And so what happens is, of course, we know whose rod budded. Which one? Aaron's rod. And we know that's going to be put inside the Ark of the Covenant with the manna and the tablets. All right. And so it's Aaron's rod that budded. And so, uh, and so what was, what's interesting to me as I went through this chapter looking at it, they laid up the rods and it came to pass that Aaron's rod brought forth, it bloomed and blossomed and had almonds on it and so forth. I mean, it was prolific that, uh, that, that he was singling this one out, not just a little bit, just didn't put a little stubble on it. I mean, it, blo- it bloomed, it blossomed and produced fruit and the others remained barren. Okay. And, uh, and so notice what this says. Look in verse 10 of chapter 17. And the Lord said unto Moses, bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony, that's the ark, to be kept for a token against the rebels, that thou shalt uh, quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. And Moses did so, and, he, and as the Lord commanded, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. In other words, understand, what happens if you got too close to those holy things? You died. And so now they're worried about, in other words, so there was a possibility, you're going to do a little mental push-up with me here. That's what this is, not a spider on a mirror, okay? Got to do a little mental push-up. And so understand something. All the time that this murmuring and jealousy has been going on, they're, they're, jealous of, they're jealous of the authority that the Levites had, but they weren't interested in the accountability that the Levites had. So they want the authority without the accountability that goes along with it. And so if you messed up and you were of the house of Levi and, and you did something out of order or you did something wrong, something serious, it meant your life. And that's why these guys said, hey, we all, we're going to perish. In other words, it was kind of like, man, you know, if we get involved in this, some of us are going to die if we're going to take on this job. Like I said, they wanted the authority. They just didn't want the accountability that God was going to hold them to. And so this is the reason why. Notice verse 13 says, Whosoever cometh anything near to the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Now, now it's dawning on them. Oh, oh, you know, this is what, this is what they're requiring, you know, to, to work here and to do these things and be careful with all the, with all the, 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 uh, the hooks and the basins and the ashes and so forth. I mean, because several things are about to be established here, like the ashes of the red heifer and the purifying, uh, uh, waters and so forth. All, all these things and God was very detail oriented. And, uh, and I've said all that. It goes into chapter 18. So, so bear here with me. And the Lord said unto Aaron, Thou and thy sons and thy father's house with thee 
shall bear the iniquity of the sanctuary, and thou and thy sons with thee shall bear the iniquity of the priesthood. And thy brethren also the tribe of Levi, the tribe of thy father, bring thou with thee, that they may be joined unto thee, and minister unto thee. But thou and thy sons with thee shall minister before the tabernacle of witness. And so now he reveals to them that it was Aaron's rod that budded, so forth, and you're going to be the one that's going to do this. And so when you think about it, this much responsibility, much authority was accompanied by much responsibility. And uh, is that not true in the New Testament? To whom much is given, what? Much is required. And so, yes, it's an honor to be a servant of the Lord, but we're all servants. We just do some in different capacities. But it's an honor to be a minister, but yet there's a greater accountability. Go to the book of James with me and look in James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I'm just doing this as a reference that some things, if you will, haven't changed from Old Testament to New. Look in James chapter 3, look in verse 1. And thank you for turning. My brethren, notice what it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. What's that talking about? Don't be, and here's the thing. Yes, it's right to serve the Lord and do what God directs you to do. If, the, if you possess those gifts or whatever that come with the, that come with the new birth, but someone shouldn't assume or presume to take on a ministry, if you will, if they haven't been called, if, if that's not their gift, because this says there's a greater condemnation that's waiting for you. In other, in other words, there's a greater accountability. For the person who serves. Yes, it's an honor and a privilege, but there's also some things that go with that. And, uh, and so, um, you know, do the will of God. Don't be afraid to serve the Lord wherever you are in whatever capacity. But, uh, but, but as, as the book of Hebrews says that no man takes this office, if you will, upon himself, but only he that's called of God. And so, uh, th- that's why, that's why in part, uh, you know, I'll just say, I'll just throw it here. God has not called a woman to pastor. Amen. Has not. And uh, and so it doesn't mean that a lady in the assembly doesn't have a great work to do at, and uh, in teaching, teaching children, teaching other women. And uh, as I've said, even in our own Sunday school class, I've said that, you know, man, my wife comes up, got some good outlines. And uh, things that I have, and sister, I, I bet you, I bet you have some as a pastor's wife. Do you teach a class where you are? On occasions? Kindergarten. All right. Well, that's, but little kids need outlines too. All right. My, my point is, is that, is that, uh, God has gifted some women. I think about Sister Virginia and I think about some of the prison missionaries and the, uh, and the women's facilities that they go to. I know they're in there exhorting them. I know they're in there, if you will, reproving them and so forth. And, uh, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that office of pastor, you know, is designated for men. God wants His house to be like your house. And the scripture plainly teaches that God is the head of the man and the man is the head of his wife and so forth uh, with the family. And uh, it doesn't mean, ladies, that you are a second-class citizen by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, it just means fulfilling your role in creation. 
that God had a special place for you. And there's no shame in it. So if you homeschool or whatever, or, or you do that, or your children do that, don't let somebody come along and tell them, well, you know, if you had a real job, you'd be doing this and this and that. Don't, don't, don't buy into that lie. And, uh, and, and don't be bullied or buffaloed by those things. And, and so because I'm just going to say, because if you do homeschool, that's work. Uh, being a homemaker, ladies, is that not work? Amen. Men make messes. <laughs> and, uh, and so, anyway, I appreciate you. I do. And so, so these things, God had to set these little things, all, all this little petty squabbling and people dying and so forth. The Lord was getting tired of all this stuff. And, uh, you know, and then they said, we have no water. And, uh, and, and God's anger was kindled about that at Moses because he, he took the rod from before the Lord and he strikes the rock. He didn't have to do it. The Lord said, speak to the rock. And Moses struck the rock. And, and I mean, in just a verse, uh, go to, go to Numbers 20. I am trying to make progress here. We are moving through. In Numbers 20, and, and just within a verse, man, here you were, you was expecting, you was expecting, you were planning on going into the promised land. You had, you had visions, you heard the report, all these things, of what's going to go on. You're enduring these 40 years here, and you pick up the rod that you had, and man, you strike the rock with it, and, and the Lord still gave him water. He didn't withhold the water. And, uh, and in just a verse, man, not your vacation plans, but but some of your dreams and hopes were gone. Notice what it says. They gathered together, verse 10, And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, you rebels. I mean, the Lord's gone from just being this people. He's just out and out calling them rebels. All right? <coughs> Hear now, you rebels, and... Uh, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with the rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. Now watch. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. I mean, boom, just that fa- I mean, that was it. Your ticket has been rescinded, Okay. You're not going in. And so uh, that's something significant that happened there in, uh, in chapter 20. All right? And uh, the, the children of Israel are going to try to move forward and, and so forth. And Aaron is going to die. Eliezer takes his place there at the end of chapter 20. And then, you know, you got this, you got this, uh, you got this strange character that comes along in chapter 22. And that's Balaam. Balaam is a strange guy. Uh, you know, how long was he out there doing what he was doing? You know, he was communing with the Lord, obviously. I, I don't know that he was a part of the group that came out. <coughs> the scriptures are silent about that. And so Balaam is there in that area. And some of those kings there out of Edom and Moab, they're seeing, I mean, it's hard to hide two million plus people, Right coming out through the land, and uh, he's heard about the Red Sea, just like how some others had. I mean, think about it now. Forty years is going to go by, and, uh, and you know, and even when Joshua and them go into the land, they had heard about what happened at the Red Sea. A whole generation, and that, in other words, that news hadn't lost any uh, impact. All right? And the same thing was going to happen with Jordan when we get to that book. It's going to roll up and they're going to go across on dry land. 
And so, uh, and so here this king, he wants, he, he said, man, this guy, Balak is going to come along. And he said, man, I need to find out what's going on. He said, I, I, he said, I want, I'm going to get this guy Balaam. And he said, I want him to, to whoop up some conjured and I want him to curse Israel. And, uh, and Balaam is a guy that he goes out there, look at chapter 22 and look at verse five. And, uh, and Balak was, was the Moabites. All right. And, and so where did they come from? Who are the Moabites? Yes, sir, that's true. But where do they come from? Who said that? I heard something about Lot. Those, those are Lot's sons by his daughters. Okay. And, uh, Moab and Ammon, as a matter of fact. All right. <coughs> And so verse 5, he sent messengers therefore unto Balaam the son of Beor to, to Pether, and, uh, which is by the river of the land of the children of the people, to call him saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth and they abide over against me. I mean, there's a lot of these guys. And so, uh, and so he's gonna hire Balaam. Come now therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. I'm in verse six. For they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I may drive them out from the land. For I wot not that he whom thou blessed is blessed and he whom thou curses is cursed. In other words, he said, I understand that whoever you bless, Balaam is gonna be blessed and whoever you curse is gonna be cursed. And he said, I- I'm willing to pay money and I want you to put a cursing on these, on these Israelites. And so they do all these things and, and, uh, and look down at verse nine. <coughs> they spake all these words and God came unto Balaam, <coughs> pardon me, and God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? Who, who are you talking to down here? All right. And Balaam said unto him, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there's his people. He rehearses all these things. And notice what he said. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go up with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. He tells him right out, Don't do this. All right. And Balaam, look at verse 13, and Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the prince of Balak, get you into your land for the Lord refused to give me leave to go with you. The Lord told me not to do this. I'm not doing it. And the princes of Moab rose up and they went into Balak and, and, and said, Balaam refused to come with us. So now they brought back word to the king. And so the king thinks, well, man, everybody's got their price. You know, and it's good to be the king. I got plenty. I can, I can do with what I want. And so he's going to sweeten the pot for him. Verse 15, Balak sent again the princes more and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said, Hey, thus saith Balak, son of Zippor, let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from, from coming up, for I will promote thee unto a very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And so Balaam again answered his servants, and he said, Uh, he said, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord. My God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry you here also this night. So he just thought he would go in and ask one more time. You know, God already told him, no, stay away from these people. Don't go with them. And they've sweetened the pot. He goes, well, well, I'm going to talk to him again. We see what happens. All right. And, uh, and look at verse 20. And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, 
rise up and go with them, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee, thou shalt, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And look at verse 22. And God's anger was kindled because he went. Now, it might look like, is the Lord, is the Lord dealing treacherously with, with Balaam here? And the answer to that is no. What did God tell him to do? He said, if these men call you to go up, then go up with them. After he had talked to the Lord, the Lord said, "If they come, basically, if they come back to you and call you up again and say, well, I want you to come with them, then go up with them, but then you're still going to have to do what I tell you to do. And the next verse says, Balaam rose up early in the morning and lit out and went with them. They didn't come to him. He kind of got ahead of this. This is where, this is where Balaam messed up. And uh, that's why the Lord... So it wasn't like God was being two-faced where he said, all right, if they, come, if they come to you, then go with them. No, this is after he talks. And then well, look what he did. He went with them as if, as if to punish him for something that he had given him the green light. He hadn't given him the green light to go. They were going to have to make a request of him. And he just went up after he had gotten this information from God. Notice what it says. If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto you, but look what happened. Balaam got up on his own. They didn't come. Balaam, what did God say? Balaam, are you going to go with us? That never happened. Balaam rose up and said, I'm good to go. It's kind of like, you know, the, there were some boys that came to visit my sister. I can relate to it. There were some boys that came to visit my sister. And uh, she was six years old, is six years older than me, uh, of which I remind her often. And, uh, and so um, they want to know if my sister could come out and go with them. And I said, well, my sister's not here. And they said, well, man, we're going to the Crestwood Plaza. This was before there were any malls. And uh, going to Crestwood Plaza, do you want to go? And me being all of six years old, I said, that sounded good to me, man. Go with these big guys? Yeah, I'll go. I said, well, let me go ask my grandmother. So my grandmother's from Germany. I go in and ask Nana, hey, can I go with these boys? They want to go to Crestwood Plaza. And, of course, she said, nine, you cannot go. And uh, I came outside, and they said, what'd she say? And I said, I'm good to go. Let's go. And so uh, I, I rode on the handlebars of a bicycle across Interstate 45, you might as well say. And my mother found me uh, out of the fog of all the people. It was a bad day. <laughs> all right. And so, and so, uh, and God's anger was kindled because he went. He didn't follow, he didn't follow what God said and he just presumed on his own to go. Is everybody clear about that? This is not God being two-faced. He didn't wait for them to come back and knock and say, hey, what did he say? What are you going to do? All right. And now look what happens. This is where Balaam's donkey is going to talk. God is so mad that the, and the donkey, the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him and the ass saw the angel. I mean, the, the, the donkey was more spiritual than Balaam was at this point. He could see the angel. But Balaam could not. And, you know, he goes to beating him three times and so forth. And then on top of that, the donkey speaks. All right. 
And, uh, and basically God said, you know, if it hadn't been for this donkey, I'd have just killed you. He said, because if you were going to go a little further, I'd, I'd have done you in. And, uh, and so what happens here with Balaam, I'm telling you, he's an unusual character. And so there are actually four times that Balak wants him to curse Israel and he does not because he cannot. And instead of rendering a curse, it's a blessing. But the thing that Balaam does that gets him in trouble, and this goes into the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.15, we don't have time to look at that, but you can go to it. Uh, 1 Peter 2.15 uh, speaks about where, uh, where Balaam was guilty of this because he was, he was willing to take money over, over being right with God. And he let his ambition and his desire for things to outweigh what was right. It's called, it's called the, the way of Balaam. And what does Balaam do? Balaam actually corrupts them, if you will, and says, you know, since you can't curse them because God's with them, but that doesn't mean that they can't be corrupted. And so it is going to be these women that are going to come along there in chapter 31 of the book of Numbers. Go there with me. Numbers 31. And what's going to happen is, look in verse 8, Numbers 31. The Midianites are going to have to deal with, and they warred against them, as the Lord commanded Moses, and they slew all the males, and they slew the kings, verse 8, beside the rest of them that were slain, namely uh, Evi, and Recham, and Zer, and Hur, and Reba, five kings of Midian, Balaam also. Uh-huh. What started off, what started off was, I was just going to go along with these guys because they were going to promote me, and I was going to get this. And then he winds up being the recipient of God's judgment and he dies here. And the men of Israel kill Balaam, loses his life. But the women are spared. And this was the counsel that Balaam gave. Notice what it says, look in verse 16. Behold, well actually verse 15, Moses said unto them, Have you saved all the women alive? And basically the answer to that was yet. And he said, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and every, and kill every woman that hath known man by lying with him. I mean, God was going to put a stop to this. You know, and, uh, and he does. And so they're just some unusual things that take place all in this time frame in between over the course of these 40 years. And they're, they're just too numerous and, if you will, too rich in some ways just to pass over them. But let me say this as we come to a conclusion for the book. Well, there's going to be a numbering again, and there's going to be over 600,000 of them still of the age of 20 and above that have that lived during that 40 years. And so what you find is that the nation has not been reduced in numbers as far as their strength, but they sure haven't made much progress. And, uh, and you know, and there still is a lot of whining and carrying on that takes place during this time. And, uh, and so the Lord is, is, uh, you know, He's had to deal with Israel here many, many times, threatened to, uh, to take their lives and start over again. And it's not even long after this 
Again, that we talk about the brazen serpent. I got a little ahead of myself there. But the brazen serpent comes along and there's a new numbering. And then here at the end, that you're going to be introduced to these cities of refuge. Because you got some tribes. You got Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. They're not really ready to go up. They, they like the land that's there for cattle and they weren't really interested in the battle that was going to have to take place in the land of Canaan. And so, and so there are some cities of refuge, three on the western side of, of uh, the Jordan River and three on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And God is going to make a distinction here about manslaughter and give the rules about this and about murder. And, uh, and so as long as these cities of refuge, they were no more than a day's journey from wherever the tribes were going to be, so whether they were in the land of Canaan or they were on the other side of Jordan, they were just but a day's journey. And so we know that Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh stayed, if you will, on the eastern side of the Jordan. They went into battle, helped secure the land, but they went back to that land after the fighting was over. That's where you get the verse, be sure your sin will find you out. Okay, it'll catch up to you. And that's what happened because who was the first? When, when, uh, when they went into captivity, who was the first to fall? Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, those that were living the closest to the world, if you will. All right, they fell first. And so, um, and so these cities of refuge, they haven't been named. They don't get named and actually designated until the book of Joshua. But they're introduced to the idea here in chapter 35 that these six cities, and there are going to be a total of 48 that are going to be given to the tribes of Levi. Because when you think about it, that you got these 12 tribes, right? And so, um, and so the six of these cities are already going to be used for the cities of refuge. Those are going to become the responsibility of the Levites because the Levites didn't really have an inheritance in the land. Not like, not like, uh, if you will, not like uh, Naphtali and Asher and Judah and so forth. They didn't have that. So each of those tribes was going to have to give a little bit so that the Levites would have a place to dwell in the land. And so they are given 48 cities. I mean, the sizes of them and so forth are all measured out. And uh, so the six that come from, that come as a part of the cities of refuge and 42 others are going to be theirs as a result of this giving from the nation so that those might be places where the Levites could have a place to live. So the, so the security of the, of the inheritance is settled and so forth. And, uh, and so these laws are put into place. And as you get to the end of this, that, uh, that Moses and so forth, uh, are, they are, they are now camped, if you will, they are camped on the eastern side uh, of the Jordan River. And they're about to cross back, because it's interesting, if I had a map right here, um, do you have a map, at the, do you have a map of, the, of this area in the back of your Bible? If your Bible doesn't have a map, um, what I'm trying to get you to see is the way that they were to come out, according to the book of Deuteronomy, it was only, in chapter 1, it was only an 11-day journey from Mount Horeb to get to Kadesh Barnea. It was only an 11-day journey. 
and they would have been in the land. They would have come through that southern route. They had to go around Edom and Moab because they wouldn't let them through and they fought against the Moabites, defeated them. All right? But now they're on the east side of Jordan because of what happened after these wanderings of 40 years. So they turned an 11-day trip into 40 years because of their unbelief. Man, that is a hardship. You think about it. You're going to take a little vacation and, and you don't get back till. 40 years and 11 days later to where you were trying to get to. That's significant. And, uh, and so they're going to have to cross back over this Jordan. They're going to have, so all these folks are encamped round about on that side and making preparation. So uh, each of these things has been set in place and the stage is being set now for them to cross over. And so that's Lord willing where we'll pick it up when we get to the book of Deuteronomy next week. Any questions? I know that was, there are just a lot of unusual things. Brother, we, were talk, we talked about Balaam, man, the, the purifying water, the ashes of the red heifer. How many of y'all have heard about the ashes of the red heifer? You know, there's some stuff with that in prophecy. In order to dedicate all those things, the altars and so forth, the temple, that all had to be consecrated with the ashes of the red heifer. And I remember having a guy named Ed Vallo. Uh, an unusual little character. He got, he was a baseball player that got saved, much like Billy Sunday was a drunk, and uh, had a speech impediment, and God cleared that up when he got saved. He was a stutterer and so forth, and uh, but he was a professional baseball player and got saved and had an unusual talent. He could write with both hands. He became ambidextrous, all that. And he would write on the board in both hands, you know, two different words and just... Keep on going. Do you remember, do you remember him, dear? And, and he'd, put a, he'd put a thing up across the back of the church. It was a huge canvas and it had the book of Revelation on there and he'd take a few chapters every night as he was with you for a week. But he would go and he talked about prophecy and that where the ashes of the red heifer were and that's what you used to consecrate the new temple and all that that's being built over there, the tabernacle of David and all those things. And man, we were, we were looking for Jesus to come when Ed Vallo was there. And uh, it was very, very interesting. And so, but the stage is being set for them to go into the land. Yes, brother. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, pretty unusual. He he was like, like, who are you? Or like, what are you? Or you know, it, it, and God makes no explanation of that. And so. Um, he just, he just did some unusual things, but, but we know ultimately it cost him his life because he made the wrong decision, he made the wrong choice. And so, um, and God was angry with him and, and God kept his appointment with Balaam and those Israelites killed him, just like they did the Midianites. And so, um, you know, when you make friends of the wrong group, man, you can get taken away. And the scripture doesn't really say where Balaam came from, and all, but we just know that he communed with God, that he talked to God. He was able to do so when he had to, and God spoke to him, came to him, told him, don't do this. But he did it anyway. All right, any, any other questions? That was a good point, Brother David. Anything else?
All right, well, then let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for my church family, Lord, and we thank you for the book of Numbers, dear God, and we marvel at some of the things that were written here, and Lord, I, I believe them, and I know that you did them, dear God, and, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would, would not be forgetful hearers of what we see in these illustrations and these types and shadows, just like those cities of refuge, Lord, each of those names has a different aspect, like Hebron, that means communion. And Lord, just like that high priest, that one of the rules was that the man was safe as long as the high priest lived. And Lord, we know that our great high priest liveth forever. We're safe, Lord. He, Jesus Christ, is our city of refuge. And we thank you for it, Father. And I pray you'll bless these folks as they go to their homes. In Jesus' name, amen.